Well, good morning and welcome to Lakeside this morning. We're glad that you're here with us. I invite you to take a Bible and to open it to the New Testament book of Titus, which is one of the last in a series of letters attributed to the Apostle Paul. If you're using one of these Bibles that's provided for you there in the pew, you'll find it on page 998. It's a very, very short letter, only three chapters, and so it starts on 998 and finishes on 999. So we'll look at it in in pieces throughout these next three weeks. But it's very easy just even in your own reading at home to just choose to read through the entirety of it because it is a letter and like any letter that would come to you in the mail this time of year, if you opened up your mail and somebody had written a letter to you, you'd take the time to read it all the way through. And you'd know that to understand even the bits and pieces of it, you had to have a sense of what the whole thing said. And this is one of those uh, great examples of that where you can, within just about seven to ten minutes, read through the entire letter uh, in one sitting. And so we encourage you to do that, even though on a Sunday mornings for the next three weeks, we're going to break it up in pieces and look at chapter one, then chapter two, and chapter three. So if you've been with us at Lakeside for a period of time, you know this is kind of the opposite of the pace we've been going through. Last week we tried to get through seven chapters in one message, and this time we're going to go much, much slower as we look at this book of Titus. But it is December, and those of you who are really organized maybe have already completed all of your decorations for Christmas. And your tree is up, and the other pieces that you put up on the wall or around your kitchen table, the special plateware or this or that, it's all ready to go uh, because you're just one of those super organized types. Others of you, more like me, are surprised it's December and you're wondering where it came from. The weather tricked us all because it went straight from November to February and now is back into December and so it feels a little bit more normal for this time of year. But there is a type of decorating that maybe you or I even haven't sufficiently thought about. And if you do have your Bible open to Titus, if you look at verse 10 of chapter 2, There's an incredibly interesting phrase from which we get the title for our series. Paul's just given a whole variety of instructions to groups of people. And then in verse 10, he says, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. In everything that we can adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. That word is unique to this letter here in Titus. It means literally to add beauty or to decorate. So Paul is saying that you and I can decorate, add beauty, make more attractive for people the message of God our Savior by what the rest of the letter says is by how we live our lives. In other words, people will be more inclined to listen to what Christmas is all about if they see the way in which the message of Christmas has actually changed our lives. So that if we've been transformed by it, they'll be more likely to listen to this Jesus that we celebrate this time of year. But it's an amazing statement. You and I could in some way, by our actions and attitudes and the way we relate to other people, we could adorn, we could add beauty, decorate the message of Jesus coming into the world for all of his people in such a way that people would be more inclined to hear the truth of who Jesus is, what he has done, and why they should consider him. So we've titled the series Decorating for Christmas. How do we, by our lives, properly, rightly, 
adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. And in chapter one, what Paul is saying is how we act as a church community. There goes my son out the back. how we act as a church community and how we structure ourselves together and organize ourselves as a new family has a big impact for how people listen to the message of Christmas. Then in chapter two, he talks about how young and old, men and women, and the intergenerational dynamics, how we relate to one another, how we act in our various vocations and jobs has a way of adorning the doctrine of God our Savior. And then in chapter three, he says how we as believers relate to society as a whole and the governments and the authorities that are in place. How we do that has a way of adorning the doctrine of God our Savior. So If you look at this very, very short letter of Titus, though we're going to go through it, chapter 1, 2, 3, there's a center. The center of Titus is chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. This is the Christmas message. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That is a summary statement of what Christmas is all about, that the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, and then there's a future element to that where our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will come to take claim of all that he has purchased in his life, death, and resurrection. And so that's the center of Titus through which we get the application of chapter one, the remainder of chapter two, and chapter three. And so now we'll look at chapter one and what it has to say for us in terms of organizing ourselves as a community of believers, but always in keeping mind that everything Paul is saying in chapter one has a way it's intended to adorn, decorate, add beauty, make more attractive the very truth that the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all. So follow along with me, Titus chapter one. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, And at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and able to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silent since they're upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. 
Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. And that's where we'll conclude our reading for today. Entitled this message, Everything Matters. That because of who Jesus is and because of what he has done, one of the implications for us is that everything matters. So the summary point in chapter 2, verse 11, this news that there is the grace of God appearing that brings salvation for all people. That's the center. That's the message. It holds everything together. Now what this is is a letter from Paul to another pastor, another church leader on an island called Crete. This is an island south of Greece. It's in the middle of the Mediterranean. It's a big island. It, it, it's, it's still today, I think, the most populated island that belongs to the nation of Greece. So it, it can fit a lot of people on it. It has some mountainous areas to it. It's experienced various volcanoes in its history. So it's a big island, but it's still an island in the middle of the Mediterranean. And if you live on this island in the first century, what are your prospects or your way for evaluating your own life's value and worth? Let me add another element to it. Imagine you're a slave on this island in the middle of the Mediterranean. How do you evaluate the worth and the value and the meaning of your life? You're in Crete, in the middle of, an, in the middle of a large sea. You could, this island could be attacked from almost any angle. You're not in Rome, you're not in Athens, You're not in Jerusalem. You're in the center of nothing. You're in the center of potential storms. And you have zero prospect for upward mobility in the course of your life as it relates to a material standard of living. If the message of Christmas is not true, if the grace of God has not appeared bringing salvation to all people, you were born at the wrong time, at the wrong place, into the wrong circumstances, and you just got the wrong end of the deal. But because the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, when Paul thinks of this island in the middle of the Mediterranean, and he thinks about old women and young women, old men and young men, slaves and masters, all the different groups of people. He believes that their lives matter. He believes that what they do matters and makes a difference. And so he has specifically assigned that someone would stay on this island, organize a church, on this island, leave instructions, put things in order because when he looks at each and every person and thinks about the news that God has brought salvation to all people, what that reinforces is the sacredness of every person. If God in Jesus Christ really came into this world and was born as an infant and grew up to die on a cross and rise again from the grave, 
that message of salvation for all people reinforces the truth of the sacredness of every human being. That there really is a creator out there. He really knows each and every one of us. He isn't just completely removed and distant and disconnected to the things that are going on in our world. That he actually entered into our world and entered into it in such a way when he, he would have had a series of choices that were left to him, right, of how he would have entered this world. We didn't choose which family we were born into. We didn't choose which circumstances we were born into. We didn't choose the era in which we were born. Jesus is the one person in the history of the world who knew he was coming into the world and could decide at which time, in which family, under which circumstances he would come. And he made an intentional choice when he came into this world to come into a family that was not a part of the majority community. He came into a Jewish family that existed in a Roman Empire that had no extra claim or fame to to their name or to their heritage and their circumstances. And he said, I'm going to come into this family. And so when I grow up, I'm going to learn the trade from my father and he's going to teach me what it's like to be a carpenter and I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it well. And I'm going to learn all of those things before I start my own public ministry and announce to the world who I really am, the Lamb of God born to take away the sins of the world. But before we skip too quickly to his announcement at his baptism as being the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world, just his willingness, his intentional choice to come into this world in the very circumstances that he came in was a way of saying every human life matters. Not just those who are in power, not just those who are in royalty, not just those who have the means of upward mobility. Every human life, in every culture, under every circumstance matters to God because he made them. He's their creator. He knows ultimately their eternal destiny. And so that gave motivation to the earliest followers of Jesus to go to places like Crete that were out of the way, that were surrounded by the sea and to say, we need to come here and we need to do a work here because the people on this island matter to the God of the universe. His willingness to come onto this planet at all. When he could have done so many other things, could have designed and built so many other galaxies and said, you know what, it's just going so bad there. Why even make an attempt to fix anything? I can just make anything else that I want to make. But his insistence that he would send his son into this world to redeem it, to begin to fix and restore the brokenness of this world, is the emphatic statement that he actually really does love the world. That's what it says in John 3.16, that for God so loved the world that he sent his only son into the world. If he didn't love the world before he sent his son into the world, then he never would have sent his son into the world. If he didn't love what he made, then he never would have sent his son into the world to redeem what he made. And this is something that we have to wrap our minds around. One of my favorite 
quotes from Dr. Amy Sherman. She says, you can't believe your work matters until you first believe the world matters. You just can't. You don't have a framework to believe that what you do every day actually matters unless you believe the world matters. And the truth that salvation has appeared, that the grace of God has provided a way of hope for every person on the planet, reinforces the sacredness of every person and everything that happens on the planet. Everything matters. And one of the things they're dealing with specifically in Crete is a group of people who don't quite feel this way. And so Paul has to uh, prop up Titus and say, you're going to be dealing with people who are going to give a mixed signal as it relates to the sacredness of every person and then the goodness of God's creation. In verses 10 and on, he describes people who are insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers, and they need to be silenced. And then when he goes on in verse 15 to say, to the pure all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. What he's dealing with is a group of people of a certain persuasion who continue to tell people that, well, you can't eat this and you can't drink this and you can't do that. And they're legalists in Paul's day.